This morning's reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with the respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is God's word. Thank you. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, the cry of every Christian is that you have loved me and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. Father, sometimes we, we're foolish and we know that you've loved us and purchased us and yet still we want to be ours. We want to do our things our own way. We think we know better than you. But when we come to our right minds, we say, no, make me yours. Make me yours, please. Would we live our lives wholeheartedly for the honor of your name? for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so now, please, would your spirit be at work, transforming us, moving us more in that direction. So we live for you and not for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Simon reminded us, we're largely working our way through the book of 1 Peter at the moment. And uh, this section that we're in, it began all the way back at chapter 2, verse 11, is really the, the Christian strategy for living in this world. And the repeated call is not to assert yourself, but to submit. And so we had it um, in verse 13, where all Christians are called to submit to government for the Lord's sake. Uh, Verse 18, slaves or kind of employees, submit to your employers. And now we come to chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, there are at least, I mean, there are many, but there are at least two reasons why that may not be so popular. Uh, the first will be, perhaps the most obvious, historical reasons, that this has been abused. You've got to say that. So at times in history, men have viewed this as a license to dominate in a way that the Scripture never, never intended. And there has been conflict between uh, the sexes uh, over that. And women have misread this as a call to uh, abject passivity and sort of collapsing in front of their uh, husband. It's not meant to be those things. So you have to put your hand up and say, historically, this has been abused. Actually, you may not like it for those reasons. Perhaps more acutely, personally, you may not like a passage such as this. Because your marriage is not great right now. Or you're not married and you would like to be right now. And if you're in either of those camps, these can be perhaps painful verses to look at. 
for even for those of us who are, are married, I wouldn't say it's awful right now, it's just chugging along nicely. These are slightly awkward verses because we know we're going to have to do something at the end of this one. There's no avoiding it. Our spouses sat next to us and they're nudging us and we know there's going to be changes coming. So there's slight awkwardness uh, all around when you come to something such as this. But of course they are, or this is God's good word to us for our good. And in that sense, it's a great blessing that we have these verses. Of course, what we have here, there is a slight distinction going to be introduced between wives and husbands. And of course, the overall biblical pattern is that men and women, wives and husbands, are to complement one another. Now, it's very good within your marriage if you do that with an eye and compliment your beautiful husband or whatever, your elegant wife. Um, good to use the eye compliment, but mainly here the compliment with an E. Men and women are different biblically. Being a male and female, they are overlapping and yet distinct ways of being human. That is set into the creation, back all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2. Gender is not a veneer that is imposed upon us, as some try to insist. It goes down to every chromosome within us. But that intuitively we do know that. So anything you read in the realm of sociology will talk about broadly there are male and female characteristics. Of course, there's a sense you could say they're caricature. You could easily say every man is taller than every woman. That's not true. Of course that's not true. But on average, men are taller than women. And so in the same way, you could, you know, sociologists would all suggest there are differences between men and women. Women tend to be more relational, men more hierarchical. Uh, uh, men tend to, sorry, women tend to be more supportive in their relationships. Men tend to be a little more competitive. Uh, women tend to be emotionally expressive. Men tend to be determined to prove themselves. Women tend to make emotional-based decisions. Men tem- tend to make logical-based decisions. I don't fit those stereotypes. Don't put me in a box. No, it's fine. I'm not saying that every man is taller than every woman. But universally, sociologists would observe that men and women tend in those directions. We are different. You may be a very female male or male female or whatever. You know, We're all on a spectrum. But broadly, there is a distinction between men and women. And we know that. The Bible is saying, now, when it comes to living that out within a marriage, that is true, and and men and women have slightly different roles to take in a marriage. Now, before before you even get to that, you do want to insist that any marriage, the more important roles you may adopt, is the commitment to serve one another. Oh, golly, that needs to be in place first. A commitment that... Uh, to give yourself sacrificially, to put to death your selfishness within marriage, that's far more important than, than the roles you adopt. In fact, if you try to adopt certain roles within marriage without first of all committing that you're in it for the good of your spouse, well, that'll be chaos. So that needs to be in place first. But when that is in place, well, there's a difference. There's a difference. Now, how this works out within a marriage, well, that'll it'll be different. I'm certainly not going to try and project my marriage onto you. That would do you no good and it'd be embarrassing for me. So you need to work it out within your own marriages if you are. But there are broadly distinctions in how men and women, wives and husbands, are to relate within marriage. So with that in mind, let's turn to them. It's very simple that we're going to ask um, the same questions of wives and husbands. 
I've lost them, but they're not complicated. What, why, and how are you to do? So let's first of all look at the, the wives. What's the call then? Well, wives, be submissive to your husbands. That is what to do. No, no, this is one woman to one man. This is not making any comment upon boardroom and what percentage of a board should be male or female. Makes no comment on that. Or pay levels, makes no comment on that. It's not talking about generally in society, it's talking about within marriage. One woman to one man. The wives are called to submit. If you find that shocking, you've probably not read much of the New Testament. Because actually 40 times in the New Testament, Christians are called to submit to something. I mean, supremely, every Christian is called to submit to Jesus Christ. Every Christian is called to do that. You get to chapter 5, every believer in a church is called to submit to church leadership, the elders. You don't, you may not like any of these things, but it is a general pattern of Christian living. And we've said, even uh, uh, just in this section, in, in chapters 2 and 3, Christians are called to, verse 13, submit to the government. Verse 18, submit to their employers. It's a general pattern. This is not a unique thing. But when it comes to marriage, says Peter, wives should submit to their husbands. Now we recognize that in every other field of life, generally. It's good to ultimately have someone who's responsible in the military, in a school, in a firm, in sport. It's not always that the captain of the team is the best player, the most talented player, certainly not often the case. But it's good ultimately to have someone who's the in charge. And biblically that's true within marriage. You need to be slightly careful of the language. But Peter is saying here, submission in marriage is a good thing too. What does it mean to submit? Well, it's hard to work it out until we look at the other side as well of what the call is to the husbands. But it is a general pattern of helping your husbands flourish. A general pattern of that. Now, of course, the husbands are going to do that too. Yes, of course. I guess it comes to its crunch moments if there's a, a disagreement within a marriage and you talk and you talk. Shall we start a family? Shall we move cities? How shall we set our budgets? And if there's disagreement, what do you do? Shall we live in London or live in Belfast? Well, you, let's, let's agree to disagree. It doesn't work so well. Unless you move, you know, don't do that and move apart. You can't, a failure to make a decision is a decision. So what do you do when there's disagreement? Well, if nothing else here, uh, the biblical pattern is the husband is to lead in that decision and the wife is to submit. Once it's been talked through and both parties have understood it carefully, and to make a decision. Of course, we hear that badly. We think, oh, and it, it just sounds like inferiority. It's, it just, it's not biblically. So Jesus Christ is the model of one who submitted. He submitted to his earthly parents, to Mary and Joseph. He followed them. We're told explicitly in Luke chapter 2 that he obeyed and submitted to them in verse 31. Of course, Jesus could rightly have said at that point, Mary Joseph, I know you think this is the right thing to do with our family, but should I just tell you something? I am God, and I probably know better than you, and so we're doing it my way. And uh, look, I can calm storms, I can do all sorts of miracles. Don't mess with me, mum, dad. I'm pretty impressive, you know. He just submitted. It's not a question of ability or superiority, 
It's just a question of role within relationship. Of course, eternally, Jesus as son submitted to his father. That is a part of his glory. What does it look like in practice? Well, I guess sometimes these are intense conversations. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a fairly intense conversation. Father, I do not want to do this. I don't want to do it this way. Is there any way we can change the plan? Not my will, but your will be done. There's a passion, there's an intensity to those sort of conversations, but ultimately there's, okay, okay. If that's what you think is the best to do, that's what we do. You need to hold this slightly in tension until we come to the husbands. Is it, I mean, just be clear, there are limits, of course, to this submission. Husband comes home one day and says, look, the family finances are a bit tight, so I suggest we go out and rob a bank. Uh, darling, I'm not so sure about that one. Well, you are called to submit. Not on this issue. Not on this issue. I mean, a, a rule of thumbs, I think, if you want of a better term, uh, the advice certainly I would always, or we've learned to generally give. Husbands, you must give your wives permission to talk to someone else outside of your marriage if, one, you are failing to take a decision on a critical issue. Whether to have children, whether to move cities, something significant. No decisions being made. Get someone else involved. Husbands, you need to give your wife permission to talk to another if, secondly, uh, the wife thinks you're taking a really, really unwise decision. And you're not talking about it with anyone else. And thirdly, get someone else involved if there's unrepentant sin. Take an extreme example to make the point. If a husband is physically abusing his wife, don't submit to him. That is not the loving thing to do for his good. Get someone else involved, obviously. Because of course there are limits to these things. You know, we chatted about it in our marriage quite early on. Okay, Kerry, my wife, look, if you think I'm behaving really badly, and you've told me you think I'm behaving really badly, and you still think so, get this man involved. He's our best man. Get him in. And get him to tell me off. You have my permission. Let me say that while I'm in a good mood and not later on. Of course there are limits to this. But wives, what are you to do? It is to submit. Now why? Why do such a thing? What is Peter's logic here? So chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Why? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So Peter is talking specifically to a Christian woman married to to a, a man who is not a Christian. That's the specific context in which he's talking. And this phrase, um, they do not believe the word. Literally, they do not obey the word. So if you, you can imagine the scenario. A woman becomes a Christian, her husband is not, and she tries to talk to him about it, but he is stubborn, as men can be, apparently. She is, he's stubborn. He says, I'm not, I'm not interested, I'm not taking it seriously at all. Well, don't harangue him, is what Peter's saying. Don't nag him. Let your life, let your character be an example or a challenge to him. Submit to him. When there's disagreement, explain your point of view. Uh, but say something like, Look, I, I think you're making a completely bad decision here, but I will go along with it. I'll submit to you. 
But Peter's saying, often the men will see that and go, hmm, interesting, interesting. And it may well lead them to take the gospel more seriously. It's not foolproof. That's the pattern of living. Peter can describe that as verse 2 as purity. It's an impressive way of living. So that's why. So what do you do to submit? Why? To what well, to win over unbelieving husbands here is this specific context. But how? Verses 3 and 4. But this is how the submission should take place, or in part. So verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold and jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be the that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Ooh. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Well, probably most of the married women are wearing some gold, at least. Uh, what is he talking about? Look, he's making a distinction between where beauty lies. This is not shopping Primark good, shopping Prada bad. It's not talking about the quality of your clothing. The, the NIV has inserted a word here in verse 3, fine clothes. This isn't literally there. Peter literally says, your beauty should come not from outward adornment, but from inward adornment. That's the contrast being made. What you wear on the outside in one sense is neither here nor there. The issue is, where do you think beauty lies? Do you think your beauty is physical, primarily, or character, primarily? Of course, naive and don't be unbiblical. I've written about beauty in this week's, um, this month's Connect. It's quite an interesting thing to talk about. Physical beauty is a lovely thing. It is a really good thing. But it matters a whole lot less than inward beauty. So just consider, why do the beautiful people of Hollywood seem to get divorced so frequently? So Tom Cruise and, and Katie Holmes uh, this week, all over the news, they're going to get a divorce. Why? It's not because they're not pretty. They are beautiful people. Why do Hollywood folk get divorced? They're so gorgeous. They have all the money in the world to spend upon their outward appearance. But the truth is, after a while, it's not just that beauty fades. You know, Botox or Botox, whatever it's meant to be, can um, can recover. Sorry, wrong. Botox that can uh, that can recover some of your beauty. It's not just that physical beauty fades as time goes on. It's just that physical beauty gets a bit boring after a while. And so the Hollywood gorgeous people move on to the next person, and the next person, because what you really want in your spouse is inward beauty. You want someone who is committed to loving you, to encouraging you. Someone who is, who wants to challenge you to improve. That's what you want. You want an inward beauty. You can't buy that from Clinique or from Chanel. Don't mishear me, this is not a call for wives to make themselves as frumpy as possible. No husband would thank me for that. No, wives are not to make themselves as frumpy as possible any more than men should make themselves as boring as possible. That would be perverse. The point is, where primarily do you think your beauty lies? Physically, you can be the most attractive woman in the world. And men, you can chase after the most attractive woman in the world. But after a while, 
That's not as exciting. It's the character you care about. And Peter is saying, that's where beauty lies. Or make sure that's the beauty you're concerned with, primarily. Don't be thrown by a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, uh, my dear wife, when we were first married, this verse made her cry. Uh, she is gregarious, she is a chatterbox, she talks, she can be forthright at times. She read this and thought, I'm not gentle and cried. Uh, that's not what it's really talking about. It's not a temperamental gentleness. It is a gentleness, it's a relational word. You can have a very quiet, timid wife who is deeply unsubmissive and fights over everything in the background. Or you can have a gregarious, extrovert, blurter of a wife, not mine. The, uh, you can have, the, just to be clear, this could be dangerous in saying that, but you could have that who is deeply submissive and encouraging to her husband. It's not a temperament thing. It's how you relate. But verse 4, this is of great worth to God. Verse 4, this is of great worth in God's sight. Look to the Old Testament, he says. Look to Sarah and Abraham. But if you do look at them, they are not a perfect couple. You read their story in Genesis 12 to 22. They argue. They fight. They are both at times pretty daft. Not a perfect couple by any stretch of the imagination. But I guess the implication, she sought to help Abraham as he led the marriage. Her hope was in God, we're told. Verse 5. How can you live in such a way even when your husband is being unreasonable, put your hope in God. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now to help understand that, let's move on to the husbands. Again, there's a what, why and how, what are the husbands to do? What are the husbands to do? Verse 7. Verse 7, husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. That's a terrible translation. That sounds like put the rubbish out once a week. Uh, it is literally, live with your wives according to knowledge. Or to simplify it, husbands, understand your wives, is the call. Understand your wives. Look at the most basic level. You You get home or your wife gets home, whichever way it works, and she's exhausted, and she has a go at you. Don't personalize it. Don't escalate it into an adversarial moment. Know what's going on in her life. No one comes home from work or awaits the, the return of their spouse from home. No one consciously has this thought pattern. I have had a rotten day today, and as soon as I see my spouse, I'm going to dump it all upon them. No one thinks that. It's just what we do. We've had a rotten day, and so our spouse gets in, or uh, we get in, and they do something tiny that is a little bit annoying, but that's it. That's my excuse. <laughs> and we dump every frustration that we had on the day on them. Now, if you live with your wife in an understanding way, you just think, now I know what's going on in her life right now. I know she was seeing that person. I know she was having that conversation with that relative. I know what's been going on. She's roaring at me. She's not roaring at me. She's just roaring. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to take it into it. I'm not going to say, right, here we go. You've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. Bring it on. That is not the time to do such a thing. Don't personalize it. Don't escalate it. Understand what is going on. That's just at the really basic level. 
But more significantly, I think, here's a call to understand what is going on in your wife's head and in her heart. What are you anxious about? What do you long for? Where would you like us to be in five years' time, ten years' time? Look, I don't really understand men and women, but I've been told so many times that, my dear, you know, we view, men and women view work pressures differently and child caring pressures differently and we, we self-esteem issues differently. Let me see the world through your eyes. How do you think we're doing right now? On a semi-regular basis, husbands, you need to ask, how can I be a better husband to you? Don't ask it. When you're in the middle of a row, that's the wrong time. You'll get, any relationship can only withstand so much honesty. But you need to ask that sort of question on holiday. How can I be a better husband to you when you're relaxed and enjoying one another? What? Husbands, you are to understand your wives. How? Well, honor them. Or treat them with respect. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Treat them with respect. Gentlemen, are you, I mean, hopefully you realize this biblically. Your wife is a partner and a co-heir with you. They are not inferior to you. They may well be more intelligent than you, more godly than you, better loved than you. They may well be all those things. Don't treat them as inferior, for goodness sake. Treat them with respect. And what does this point... Um, uh, they are the weaker partner. Well, again, broadly we understand that. Ge- men are generally, physically, and emotionally a little bit stronger. We can withstand a little bit more weightlifting and stress. Broadly, not every man is taller than every woman. Okay, Broadly, that is true. But again, what do you want? Which is, this is not a weakness as in better or inferior or, or anything like that. You could ask it this way. Which is better? A hammer or a cut glass crystal? Which is better? It's a funny question to ask. One is ugly and coarse and lacks sophistication. The other is useful for banging in nails. No, I've got that wrong, haven't I? I've got that wrong. I've got that completely wrong. You know, ugly, coarse, a hammer is different. It has a different purpose than a glass. Use them both for their appropriate tasks. This is not a superior, inferior thing. It's just saying they're different. Husbands, treat your wives with respect. Express appreciation for her insights, ideas, questions, character, friendship. Respect the way that she's different to you. Understand the way that she's different to you. I often fail in this. You can fail to recognize that we're different. And so I, I can push us into uh, doing more things and seeing more things and, and having dinner with more people and going out to more things and just push, push, push. And I'm fine, but my wife is collapsing. That's a failure. It's a failure to respect that we're different or understand her. That's a useless husband at that moment in time. And of course, part of your respect will be to take your wife's counsel seriously on all major decisions. On the minor ones, just let her have what she wants. What film should we watch tonight? A war film or a rom-com? Well, I, I shall call for you to submit to me and watch a war film because that's what I... Don't be, don't be talking about it. Ridiculous. 
In the small things, be gracious, give way. When it comes to major decisions, make sure you have understood your wife and then take a decision which is in her best interest. By that I mean her godliness. So when it comes to make decisions, gentlemen, don't just do the thing that you want to do. Don't just do the thing that she wants to do that will give you an easy life because she's, you know, it's a bit awkward right now. You're, being, you're feeling a little bit nagged and you just want a comfortable life. Do the thing that is best for her godliness and for your family. Make sure you've taken time to understand. Look, I, I hate doing these things in one sense. It just puts flesh on the bones. I think in our marriage, we've struggled to reach a common mind twice, really, on significant issues. The first was, do we start a family now or not? That's a fairly emotive issue. Uh, at the time, uh, initially, I, I was keener. Uh, then carry my wife. Now, what do you do there? I mean, you can't in that scenario say, I call you to submit. That's going to cause all sorts of misery and pain. It's a ridiculous, obscene thing to do. You can't say, oh, you don't want to. Oh, well. Because then that's not a decision. That's a failure to take a decision. What do you have to do in those settings? I'm not sure I got it right. But you have to make sure you understand. Okay. Why? I want to understand you, not so I can manipulate you to doing what I want to do. I'm not trying to understand you for that reason. I'm trying to understand you so we reach a common decision here about what is the best way forward. So let's talk about the reasons why you're hesitant. What do you know is going on in terms of anxieties, etc., etc.? Should we put some sort of time frame on it? Can we agree to that? Because if we let it drift forever, we'll end up being 80, and that'll, you know, uh, that's probably a bit late. So what do you? You've got to take time to understand. The second time we we really struggled was on um, whether to pursue IVF treatment. And that's the only time that Kerry has ever said to me out loud, you are failing to lead our marriage. I'm sure there have been other times when I've failed to lead our marriage. It's the only time she's said it out loud. But she was right. One of us thought we should proceed with IVF. The other did not. And so I just let it drift. Because it was just too awkward to talk about. But you can't let that drift forever. You're failing to lead our marriage. So I had to say, you're right. You're right. Okay. I'm going to spend the next month reading as much as I can from Christians about the ethics of IVF, where people agree, where they disagree, what the grey areas are. I'm going to take counsel from other people. And then we'll make a decision together. And she was right. I was failing to lead. The funny thing was, at the end of that month, we'd both completely flip round. <laughs> and the one who had wanted to do it didn't. And the one who didn't did. And well, a decision had to be made. Look, I don't think it's very often you get these sort of crisis decisions where you disagree and the husband has to make a decision for the good of the family. I don't think those come along very often. But what probably Peter is calling for is a general pattern. A general tenor to the marriage of leading things, of setting the agenda. Husbands, you're called to understand your wives and respect them. Last little thing on this. Why? Uh, uh, 
Why? Why, husbands, to do this? Very striking. Why? End of verse 7. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So unlike the wives, the injunction to the husbands comes with a warning, which is striking. A failure to love your wife will mean that your prayers are hindered. Husbands. Golly. What does that mean? I don't know. You'll find it harder to pray. You get no response to your prayers. Um, God isn't... I don't know what it means. But the Bible is clear. If you fail to love your wives in this sort of way, then you fall under the fatherly discipline of God. He is so concerned for our marriages, he will hinder our prayer lives to try and knock them back on track. It's remarkable. He cares so much for them. So wives, you are to submit within marriage to your husbands. Husbands, you are to understand. You are to know your wives. Now let me say again as we finish, these things only work in the context of a marriage where both parties are committed to serving one another. Without that, it can look ugly. I can't tell you how it'll work out within your marriage if you're married. I can't tell you that. It'll be different within every marriage. But what this is a call for is to live this way, the way God has intended us to. And you could only do this if your eyes are fixed upon the cross. You could only live this way if your eyes are fixed upon the cross. You look up and you think, Jesus Christ, what did he do? He put aside his glory in order to serve us. And marriage is two sinful people coming together and deciding, I'm going to put aside my self-interest in order to serve my spouse. You can only do that if you look to him. Some will know, but at every wedding sermon I've ever given in this church, and it must be nearly 50, something like that, I still always include a little quote that I've done for the last 10 years from C.S. Lewis. He observes this. Being in love is like the explosion or the ignition that starts the engine of marriage. <clears throat> the romance begins. But it is upon the love and grace of Jesus Christ that the marriage will run and run and run. Ten years ago, I thought that was a lovely soundbite. Now I just think, I don't know how you survive without that. There's realism in it. Marriage is two sinful people coming together. And your spouse will annoy you. They will say things that annoy you. They will do things that annoy you. And so will you. And so when the romance fades, you can, you can choose one of two paths essentially. Romance fades, and you could either take a path of daily irritation and low-level frustration with one another, or you can choose a path of mature, sturdy love, putting aside your selfish desires and living for their good. And you can only do that if you look to the one who served you in that way, if you look to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, many of us know marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a difficult thing. Thank you that you speak so often of it in the scriptures. We pray that those of us who are married and uh, will be married in the future will want to uh, be husbands who 
lead their wives, respect their wives in the way the Bible wants us to. That we would be wives who submit to our husbands, encourage them in the way that you want us to. But Father, we know we can only dream of doing such a thing if we look up, see how Jesus Christ has first served us, and then commit to serve one another in a similar way. So for those of us who are married, Father, keep, please keep him at the center of our marriages in order that we can live to serve one another, we pray. Amen.